2: Previously on, of mice and men and monsters. Bioengineered robot, tailored to respectfully assist the master. Put that together, and it's Bertram, but also it's a reminder of who you are and your place. And so, again, yes, I understand about the weight and the meaning and the shame that a name can carry at times.
1: I can't imagine that the Featherfoots didn't tread gently on you. You seem to have had a very nice life. I just can't imagine you actually understand where I'm coming from.
2: Believe me, some were nicer than others, but that's a story for another day. She
1: floats up <gasps> until she's up um, at your level, Bertram. Oh, okay. <gasps> oh no! It collides with your chest plate, and you are pushed off and out into the main uh, pavilion of the villa, and you crash down at two stories. As the host waves his hand for you to enter, you nod your head in deference to your master, Lord Featherfoot. The room is cozy with the six of you, the mayor, the doctor, the psychologist, the inventor, the shoemaker, and now you, the time machine. So before we begin with the actual play and narration, I think it would be good to have just a space here where we set the parameters, give context for you, my dear sweet listener, <laughs> to understand uh, what it is. Because this this next phase that we're entering into, uh, traveling through the story of the time machine uh it it would be a good idea then to look at like how this is going to be a very singular way of storytelling. We I'm planning on jumping back and forth uh between Bertram um on really the inside and then Awen and Penny trying to survive on the outside. And so today we're for the way I'm imagining it is that we are going to be just focusing completely on Bertram uh, for today's episode Uh, just to kind of get you guys into the feel of how this story arc is going to play out and what it'll be like uh, because we are going to be jumping around in Bertram's past Uh, so the that I think that's the best way to do that just this week we're going to be focusing on Bertram. Next week we will be with Penny and Awin as they're trying to survive behind enemy lines and then we'll join the two together um, in a, I guess you could say, a- aligned or a contiguous storytelling pattern. Uh, but for today, since we're with Bertram, uh, just a few few things to, to put out there. Uh, Bertram is the best way, like I could conceive of this, is that we have now just where we left off at the end, at the close of the Macbeth storyline. Uh, we had just Bertram was just, just, just utterly destroyed uh, by the big bad of Lady Macbeth. And he was already not well off because of the hedge maze and the three weird sisters. Uh, And because of that, it didn't take too much, but there is something in him that has been uh, just completely fizzled out. And on the outside, he's completely unresponsive. And on the inside there, there's a part of him that's just making that wiring crossed so that he is jumping around in his memories uh, from different year to different year. And so I will do my best to make that clear. But if it gets muddled, go along with it, dear sweet listener, because that's kind of the feeling and the tone we're setting here. But Adam, since you're with me for this, how do you imagine this? Since we're in a collaborative storytelling atmosphere, how do you imagine Bertram is experiencing this?
2: Bertram's 100 years old. And what you're going to do, Kate, for me and the listeners is that you're going to give me the year of Bertram's life every time we jump.
1: Yeah, I I will make sure. So (laughs) So we're not not confused as to what it is.
2: And what we're seeing play out and what we play out together, that is not, it's not current Bertram. Who just left Macbeth and is with Penny and Awen. It's not that version of Bertram experiencing this, like an out-of-body experience. Uh, it's literally like he's watching his, his, his computer hard, hardware and memory is damaged, and he's literally like playing these videos as he like is just jumping through time as he's kind mm-hmm. of going in, he's, I don't know he's like going haywire. So it's not current Bertram going back and saying like oh I remember this place and oh yeah there I used to like that chair it's not like that it's more like you're seeing it play out as it played out in that memory Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like Caitlin said this is kind of an experiment of jumping through time I think this could be really cool uh if we manage to pull it off if you're ever confused uh like Kate said roll with it and hopefully there will be some foreshadowing that you're not supposed to get there, there'll be jumps in time where you're like, what the hell was that? That seems innocuous or random. Uh, what the hell was that? That's because they're jumping in time and it'll come back later. So if you just trust us, <laughs> we're trying something here. Trust and I me, hope I can, I can do works.
1: foreshadowing. I can do it. <laughs> yeah. So if you're
2: confused, that might be the point. And just roll with us. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes the best stories are ones you got to go back to and watch again, like Memento or something like that, where... It doesn't make sense at first, but when you watch it a second or third time, you're like, oh, that's what that was. And that meant to be that. So, yeah, Yeah. it's going to be interesting for all of us. It's going to be interesting for me to play, for Kate to DM and for Mm -hmm. you to listen to. But I hope that we um, are able to, to pull it off.
1: It is year one. So we have jumped back 100 years into the past. And we are right where we left off. Bertram, you are at this party hosted by the Featherfoots that they do on a yearly basis for Ravens Week. And gathered around you, you see uh, a distinguished mayor, a doctor, a psychologist, um, an inventor, and your employer, your. Your master, Lord Featherfoot uh, of the, sh- who I refer to as the Shoemaker, he is uh, just finishing telling a story as you are passing around the drinks and taking your place over his shoulder at the at the wall. So one of the guests, a a halfling with a very greasy comb over, saunters over to you. And looking at you up and down, he, he strokes his, his goatee. And he says to you, Well, I do declare, looks like Arthur got himself a a nice plaything here. What do you call yourself?
2: Well, I was given a name, but Lord Featherfoot likes to call me Bertram, sir. So.
1: Bertram, eh? Oh, what the hell is this voice? I'm going to have so much fun with this voice. I love it.
2: <laughs> Lean into it.
1: Bertram, eh? Is that a family name? Uh, Arthur, what, what, why are you calling this one uh, Bertram? And your employer, you know, just perks up and he sees this halfling with you and he kind of knits his brow and a little bit of what you're starting to see as one of his uh, little tells of annoyance, but he quickly smooths it away and gives him a magnanimous smile. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Morlock, this is, this is Bertram, and no, it's not a family name, but he is a part of our family. It's, uh, his, his maker just did it for us. It's, uh, Built to express... Li- Bertram, what is it? I, uh, I don't like using it, but you, you know it.
2: Yes, sir. It, it is a bio-engineered robot tailored to respectfully assist the master. Again, Ber- Bertram, we, sir.
1: And we, yes, we and we, call him, we call him Bertram, and like I said, he's part of the family. Uh, what got you so interested in this, Mr. Morlock? And he's still just this, this lane is still kind of just, I knew, and then just turns back to to Arthur Arthur Featherfoot. You know, I I myself am a very talented inventor, very very talented dreamer, and although his maker obviously had some wonderful ideas, I mean that that collar. Just drips down his back like molasses. Had to say it once.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You had to say it. Had to say it once. It was required.
1: But really, I I could oof I could get if you were to give me a contract, I could make more of him. I could do better than that, and I could deliver on you something that the Featherfoot family wouldn't even know what to do with themselves. You can make some real money off of what I'm offering you. And Arthur, Arthur Featherfoot just looks down at him and nods and looks back at you over, over, over his shoulder. And you, you catch his eye and he, he winks at you solemnly and says, well, Mr. Morlock, I, I am always interested in what you have to say. You have done some Good work with us in our earlier designs for our footwear, and I'm sure we can come to some discussion, but Bertram here is one of a kind, and I don't want any repetition of that. Why don't you come, come enjoy some of this baked brie that my wife Jane made? It's, it's heavenly, I must tell you. And so he he starts to escort him away and he looks back over at you over his shoulder as if expe- just seeing you kind of move and he looks at you expectantly.
2: E- expectantly to, to like join him?
1: N- no. Um, or- no, he, he kind of just like, uh, Bertram, why don't you uh, see to it that the rest of the guests are taken care of? I don't want to have them feeling peckish. After such a delicious dinner, there's always more to be had.
2: Absolutely, sir. I'm on it. And as I watch them leave, um, mm-hmm. I'm looking around. Did Mr. Morlock, did he leave a jacket, any kind of belongings uh, at, his, at his table, at a spot?
1: Yeah, so the, the, this is more like of an after-dinner lounge area. So they'll have small eats. This is more for, like, the drinks and the smokes and the desserts, um, such as the baked brie. Uh, and so this this is more of, you know, tufted chairs and, and winged back chairs and divans and just places to lounge. And you'll notice thrown kind of carelessly over the side of one of the, the sofas is... Uh, is his hat and gloves.
2: Trying to think of something I could do to, like, slightly damage them I'm thinking that Bertram. <laughs> so I'm trying to get in the headspace so Bert, Bertram of what, already
1: like you. You are like you're a baby, right? You're you. Yeah. This is your first year of existence. Well, there you're is no like,
2: there is no baby. There is no like adolescent. No, but Bertram. like the, everything.
1: I mean, I see you like taking all this in as like just I with am, new eyes. I
2: am, and I think that um the sassiness was programmed into him, so that was there <laughs> from day one. But I think he had to be more careful and quiet about his sass. But he will not take, especially because he wants to, he wants to be like highly esteemed in Arthur Featherfoot's eyes. And so for this man to be putting him down in front of his face, talking to him like he's, I don't know, just putting him down in front of his face and mocking him in front of his employer uh, does not set well with him. And he would normally just just like overtly damage something, but then that would come back to him. So I'm trying to think of something I could do that would <laughs> damage it. Um, okay, I want to sneakily try and do something. Since Let's play D&D with this. I'm hoping since there's other people there, what I'm wanting to do is take his gloves, shove them in his hat, and then I want to go to like the person at the place next to him at the a, and make it and I want to orchestrate it so it looks like the that person's glass has tipped over and spilled into his hat. So, if someone gets upset, it wouldn't look like I did it. It would look like um the person clumsily next to him damaged his property.
1: I would say y- you you're going to do this. this is this is interesting because you know we're we're in the past. We we don't we can't assume that all of your stats are going to be as they are now, know, 100 years ago. And so I think what a fair thing would be for me to do is that I will I will have you just roll a straight D20 okay. for it. And then...
2: No no modifiers or anything? No
1: modifiers, nothing. Um, and we're going to roll as few times as we can during your flashbacks. I'm going to have a and Penny roll all the Why? time. But I... I'm playing I know D&D. it's fun to roll it's fun to roll uh, but largely this because is if, I, be if I roll a two together.
2: I mean and I fail I mean that's what happened in the past like that's what happened yeah. yeah 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 15
1: that's yeah I was gonna just do simple like if it's above 10 so nice. 15 you're able to do that you even see him start to kind of turn and, and look at you again and you, you pause until he goes back to the baked brie and, you know, starting to just unceremoniously like shovel it into his face. <laughs> uh, and and you do that. You You shuffle over. You notice... Uh, it's close enough to where one of the other guests is passing by and you bump the table and one of the drinks, one of the flutes of champagne spills into the cap uh, that is now. I, I see it kind of like as a bowler hat um, mm-hmm. that's mm. now kind of tilted upwards like a bowl uh, so that the champagne is coating the bottom in yes. just yes. a thin layer. Mm-hmm.
2: As And I want to walk away from that as fast as I can. Uh And as I'm walking around the room, I think Arthur Featherfoot has kind of trained me to be his eyes and ears for him. Like I work for him. And so as I'm kind of going around the room, helping people get their drinks, the other people who are there, I think I'm just trying to eavesdrop, you know, like a a good butler does kind of to the to the to the side and not being not being heard, hopefully not Mm -hmm. being seen too much, but definitely trying to be his eyes and ears for him.
1: Yes, and you do that. So you notice that uh, the uh, one of the individuals that you had not gotten to know, you still kind of only know some of them by their titles. That is mm. how Lord Featherfoot had prepared you. And so the man that you recognize as the psychologist had uh, made his way over to Morlock and kind of sniffs in his direction and says very quietly, "You know, it is." Easier, far easier to go down than up. And I do enjoy these yearly featherfoot parties, but how long is this going to last? How long is this success really going to last? And more like just like gives him just this this side grin. Well, my good man, if, if it were up to me, without me, I can only see them going down. I'm going to make it worth their while. To see me is their only way going up. If I had my druthers, if you know what I mean. And he just slightly taps the side of his nose, and the two of them chuckle to one another, and then separate.
2: Is uh, you mentioned all their titles. Morlock, Mr. Morlock is the uh, inventor. Is that what mm-hmm. you said? Then mm. mm-hmm. it's a psychologist. You said a mayor. I'm an idiot. Was a mayor. Yeah.
1: Uh, Le- uh, this oh, is the,
2: mayor! I was thinking mayor. mayor, like a like a horse or or it? No, a, <laughs> yes, there, there's a horse. <laughs> there's a horse <laughs> man. I mean, it is D and D. There could be a horseman. You know
1: what? Actually, now in my head.
2: Oh my god, the mayor is a mare. Oh my god, the mayor is a
1: mare. Oh yes. It's happening. It's a horse person. They're it's a horserer. It's it's a sorcerer horse that is. <laughs> in the corner you just see the the it's it's not a centaur it is it is a it is a sentient female horse uh that and is mr morlock
2: to, walks up and says nay i'll make your acquaintance
1: <laughs> and, and the, the mayor is like <laughs> and chomps at him
2: i would go and where where's a i, I would after i, I kind of Go about the room, making sure people have what they need, and um, eavesdropping, I would, as always, kind of look towards Arthur to see what he's doing, to see if he needs me, since that's first Arthur and foremost. Fe- Yeah,
1: Arthur Featherfoot is near, near the door of the room, scanning around, looking very content at this gathering, looking as if he's just very secure in his footing, but also in his self. And he sees you once again, and he beckons you over, just with a a cock of the head.
2: I I, I walk over, and I stand uh, just behind him, and I I whisper kind of quietly, He's putting you down again, sir, to your friends. I don't know why you continue to invite him to these things. That Morlock is... I, I don't like him, sir if I might be so bold.
1: You may, Bertram, you may. You know, I have found that it's very useful to keep those that are hungry, like our friend over there, close enough to nibble. I have to see exactly what he has in mind, and I don't need any of those motivations to go elsewhere. So if I keep him busy... He won't cause any trouble for our competitors, and he won't cause any more trouble for our investors as well. Those that are here tonight know where they stand with me. And they also know that who is feeding them tonight is also who's supplying many more things at their tables. So they can talk. But we need to make sure that they're not acting. Is that understandable, Bertram?
2: Yes, sir keep your friends close but I just wish the enemies could be farther away
1: was not an enemy yet that's not not our gain here if we can keep people from becoming our enemies then we've won now the night is winding down why don't you start with the cleanup crew I'll see the guests out, and uh, Jane will be up to direct you for the rest of the evening. Thank you, Bertram. Yes, sir. It is now year 60, and you find yourself standing in front of a large, ominous bronze door. A fixed Above this bronze door is the image of a sphinx, and as you pass by it, you kind of linger in front of it, uh, but the urge to keep going is very strong because this is an area that has made, been made very clear it is off-limits to you, especially. And yet something draws you in. Go ahead and roll Perception, then.
0: Ugh. Five.
2: What am I trying to perceive? Am I? Would you say am I? Well, the, the perception, listening?
1: the the so that was kind of like just a everything. So depending on oh, what you okay. rolled would be like the senses that. So you, as as you kind of pause and, and glance over at the door, you hear a small sound as if it's coming from behind the door.
2: Yeah, I, I, I I've. Oh, I, I guess I would clearly look around first, but I didn't see very well. Maybe it's dark or something but I think on hearing that sound I would use it as an excuse to try and put my ear against the door to see if I can and maybe try and look through a crack on the door to see if I can see or hear what's on the other side
1: yeah you you go up to it and kind of just pressing against it you hear small noises and and rumblings behind it and and the tone that it sets for you, this, this mood is, is kind of ominous. Like the feeling you get is these are not pleasant sounds and it, your eyes kind of dart around unseeing and though outside sunlight kind of filters through and it, it is just early in the morning, uh, it, this wing of the Featherfoot Mansion is darkened Not too much of the outside light is penetrating into this kind of corner that is well concealed. Um, And as you close your eyes to get a better understanding of what you're hearing, it almost sounds like a raspy chuckling is on the other side of the door.
2: Hmm. You said what the, uh, the door, what did you say was above the door?
1: There's a figure of a sphinx.
2: Okay. Well, I'm not supposed to be here, so I think I would just... Can, do, do, do I make out the, the chuckling? Do I make out who that sound might be or what voice I'm hearing? Is it...
1: You can't place it. Uh, it it's, it's gravelly. It's like crackling and gravelly. That's the best way mm. that your mind is able to, to decipher what you're hearing but you cannot place that voice to anything and it it does it it when you hear it just the co- combination of the the rumblings and that weird sound that it has an intelligence behind it it doesn't sound like pure machinery uh there there does seem to be like it it is a laugh but not a laugh at the same time and as you're trying to piece it together, knowing you need to leave, it strikes a feeling of fear. Like that's the best way you can you can put it. Like you do not feel comfortable with this sound. You do not feel safe with this sound. Uh, and in that, you, you definitely know like, I, I'm so curious behind what's this door. And yet I know I cannot go and I don't even know if I want to. Mm. And so as you kind of stand there hesitating two people come running um just down the hall um in in pursuit of one another um and you notice the the two of them um are are only just partially clad and uh as they run through the daylight in the shadow um the the man pursuing the woman he's uh flinging just flowers at her as he runs and he stops and kind of looks in your direction and then gives you just like this squinted smile, and immediately says, "What do you think you're doing over here?"
2: Oh, I, w- I thought I heard something. I, I was just cleaning. You I'll, thought I'll,
1: you thought you heard something. How what, You think that just because I'm not around, that you could just go wherever you want in this mansion? I'm this sorry, is, sir. Th- yes, th- exactly, sir. Lord, my lord. This is my mansion, and I am here with. And then you, you see, like, the scantily clad woman near him, kind of just, like, partially hiding and giggling behind a column. If I weren't so, likewise, pursuing something much more interesting than you, I would have something to say about this. Perhaps. I will have something to say about this later, but I have something to see too. And he, he gives you one last, like, disdainful look. If I come back here in even five seconds, Bertram, and see you near this door, I might tear your arm off.
2: <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sorry, sir. It won't happen again. And I, and I, I, I storm off and I start trying to do a chore somewhere Mm -hmm. i just got to get away from that door
1: yeah and you you hear just the uh you you hear just the retreating footsteps of your current master uh in this case edgar the son of arthur as he runs off laughing not sparing you a second glance you still see the signs of mourning that have lasted these past 15 years
0: Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com slash survey today. Friends,
1: half-orcs, countrymen, lend me your pointy ears. Hey guys, it's me, Kate, your master teacher. Welcome back. We missed you. Happy New Year. Uh, and I... Really, I'm so excited to start this new story arc with you, The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. And not only is it a new story, but this is going to be an arc where we focus on one of our characters' backstories. So you're going to find out a lot about Bertram and a lot of what makes him tick and where he came from and all that fun stuff. So strap yourselves in, kids. (laughs) Um... With that said, I'm just here at the break to say thank you for listening so much. We're happy you're here. We're happy that you're just still here with us and and continuing on this crazy journey of ours. Uh, And I would also like to invite you to join us on our Patreon. Join the Mam Mam fam, um, as they're starting to call themselves. Um, And on that, you can get exclusive content. So, you know, on, on one hand, you are helping us an indie show. And uh, on another level, you get some cool stuff. Uh, you get bonus content with um, after show, uh, hangouts, uh, basically hearing the four of us talk about the recording, but also just shenanigans behind the scenes. Uh, you can have access to my uh, notes as a dungeon master and planning these literary adventures. You can have uh, a book club with Kimmy and me as we read stories that have to do with the content that is um, playing on the adventures for the podcast and and many more segments. So find us. Uh, our, our Patreon is on the show notes. They're in the show notes. Um, but you can also just go on to patreon.com and look up of and Men and Monsters or Omam oh So with that said, that's enough of me. Let's get back to the show, shall we? <laughs> You're pulled back now to year 30, and we're at another Raven's Week party. Once more, you are there assisting, handing out champagne, and making sure the guests are taken care of with after-dinner treats. And once again, you are having to look upon the scene uh, that has been arrested by the what you think of as disgusting visage of Mr. Morlock. And he is behind one of the divans and, and rum, rustling through uh, a large sack, like a sack that's larger than his halfling self. Um, and as he is bending back in and, back in and out and, and getting bits and pieces of apart, part, um, he, he addresses the room saying, It wasn't that long ago where I said I could improve upon... And he waves in your direction that creation's appearance and use and qualities. And uh, I believe I have uh, my own version, uh, which I have humbly named my Morlocks. uh, So you would know exactly where they came from. But Arthur, I have my prototype and I would uh, like to show you what I have just to see if you would... Reconsider your investment in this venture, and he he pulls out this this hunk. And it it is about his size, like the size of a half lane. Um, and unzipping its canvas covering, you you see this caricature of of a warforged of of a of a robot, um, and it is terribly made um and as he he reaches under the back and and flicks the switch um this dull red light in its eyes comes to life and and um the the wiring and the facsimile of musculature kind of jerks and comes to to life as it straightens up and the the form of it is just fascinating to you in its repugnance the instead of for you you have you know just this this beautiful gold filigree around you lined into your dark jet uh what would i call it i don't want to say it's like it's it's your aperture it's your um into your metal um and this thing it's it's like this pale color almost like a sickly color if you could call metal and iron that um but as it straightens up and twists its body around to really consider what you could say is considering the room oil starts to leak uh, from its joints and Arthur immediately just laughs out loud. Um, And as he, as he laughs, you see Mr. Morlock turn extremely red and Arthur looks at you and looks back at this thing. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Morlock. I, you, you certainly have started to create uh, something, but this, this is in, in no comparison to, to our Bertram, but if you're going to put your name on it, that that's something. But I, I cannot put my name on it anywhere. I, I, I can't agree to, to back this product. Featherfoot name stands for quality. It, it's, it stands for stability. It stands for timelessness. And this poor thing is anything but. And almost like on cue, it starts to like break back down. And as it starts to try to take a step forward, it crumples. Um, and there's a part of you too, that is, is I would say is confused. Uh, and you almost feel a pang of sympathy for whatever this, this creation is. I mean, what is going through your mind at this point? I don't want to assign to you all of your emotions or your thoughts.
2: I think I think at first, it feels really good to see Mr. Morlock just fail, um, because he talks a big game, and Bertram just does not like him. And so seeing seeing this uh, just terrible invention and creation just crumble is is funny. I would say that he doesn't even really see it as a warforged because a warforged is more like a magic infused creature that's more sentient and more like a more like a human um whereas this just looks like wires and springs and oil and it looks like a something you would see out of like the 1950s i would assume just kind of danger mm-hmm. will robinson where it's like not like a real not like a, a magic infused being like i am it looks more just like a so i don't i don't even feel like that much sympathy for it because i don't think mm-hmm. it's like a creature i don't think it's like a living creature that's like dying and hurt it just looks like a like a lemon like a like a bad car
1: yeah and and as it kind of like spins its head Uh, around you don't see like any reaction to the room it's almost like it's on an automatic swivel it's not even really interacting with its environment or anything that would show you a level of intelligence that you typically would see with something that is sentient uh you you just see you, you see machinery and it's interesting coming even from you since you know you are largely considered machinery um but so much more than that too and in, you barely have moments uh, to, to really take this scene in uh, before you hear just the sound of a snapping finger on the far side of the room. And you look over there and, and between the tables, you know, you, you see um, a, a great number of cushions scattered. and you see some of the guests seating themselves, and on one of the far cushions, you see a, a younger, About in his twenties, a twenty-year-old like Edgar, like Mm. probably like the age of someone who's like in college. Like that's the best way I could imagine Mm -hmm. like his his age here. Um, And he's snapping at you to to come to where he's sitting.
2: Yeah, I think I think my smile of kind of seeing Mister Morlock fail and kind of making eyes with Arthur would that smile would instantly kind of drop back to seriousness as I as I make my way over to him. Um, but as I do, I, I don't miss the opportunity to kind of linger in front of Mister Morlock and say, "Well done, well done, another triumph, Mister Morlock." And I would just continue walking, and I would uh, go over and stand in front of um, Edgar. Uh, yes, sir.
1: And with with almost an absence of ceremony, he he takes like the fruit from one of the bowls in front of him in his hands. And (laughs) the way I'm kind of imagining is like Return of the King with, with a Denethor, like the the thing that everybody loves to make fun of with the tomato. So he like, it takes this, this melon there and he like starts to eat it very messily. And it just is like dribbling down his face. And he's like, so what do you think that you're better than that piece of junk over there? Do you think that you're really at that level? Or above that level, I should say. And you can see, like, the glazed look in his eyes. He's had too much to drink yet, once again.
2: Well, I, for one, think it's easy to spot the difference between me and whatever that is. Just as it's easy for me to see the difference between a skilled uh, inventor and Mr. Morlock. Or even the difference between uh, you and your father. I think I would mutter would mutter that. I would try and mutter loudly that last part. Okay. But loud enough where he might be able to hear it, but I also kind of want him to hear it.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Kind of like you 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 have seen him in this state before and you know like just this irrationality isn't gonna do you good, even with any kind of signs of obeisance. So uh yeah, with that remark though, he like his eyes like flash towards you and he's like you know what I see when I look at you right now? I see... Two of me? A receptacle. What? Well, excuse you? Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry,
2: sir. What, was, what were you saying?
1: If there were two of you, maybe I could have a use for that. But I have a better use for just the one of you right now. Why don't you... And he pats this, uh, the cushion next to him. Why don't you have a seat right now, Bertram?
2: I would love to keep you company, sir, but I'm supposed to be helping your father.
1: You can help my father by helping me.
2: What is it that you need, Edgar?
1: I need someone to take out the trash and clean, because you do that all the time. I see that, because for some reason, father... Will not hire anyone else. And he takes one of the, the peels and the stalks of what he's been eating and he, like, flings it towards you. Are you hungry, Bertram? Do you even want any of this to eat?
2: You know that I don't eat, Edgar. What, what is this? What are, you, what are you doing?
1: Look around you, Bertram. You, picking up the trash, is what you're expected to do. You eating alongside us, you even standing there and watching us, which is really weird. Let's be honest. The way you just watch. ugh, just do something. Clean up that oil that's over there. Clean up this stuff. Just clean. That's what you do. You just clean. And as he starts to get louder and louder, you see Arthur come over really quickly and um, firmly put his hand on on Edgar's shoulder, Edgar. I see that you are having fun in a way that we have talked about, and you see the grip just slightly tighten in a way that makes Edgar wince, and, and um, and maybe to to your <laughs> to your inner delight, <laughs> you can see that it's causing Edgar pain. But right now is. Not the time for treating anyone in this room in such a way, including our help. So why don't you go upstairs and your mother will see to exactly what you need right now. I have other uses for Bertram right now than just catching your stocks and your peel. Son, go upstairs. And if, without leaving him any room for discussion or for argument, no chance to brook that. He, he pushes him towards the door. Um, and Edgar gracelessly just flounders towards it, huffing as he goes. But roll perception for me as he leaves.
2: We have 10.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, You'll notice, though, as he leaves, he he bumps into to Mister Morlock, and Mister Morlock immediately like kind of straightens him up and, and brushes him off, and you overhear Mister Morlock say, "I don't understand why why you would be so upset right now." And here, let, let me let me give you a hand upstairs. Uh, I I have, I have I've been wanting to talk to you for some time, Edgar. I. I think really a, a lot of your imagination could go a long way if only your, your daddy would let you. And, and he escorts him outside of the room. You jump now a quarter of a century forward to year 55. And you are uh, standing up against the wall of... Edgar, now 45 years old, um, in his office. And I would like you to make a wisdom check for me.
2: Again, this is a straight 20.
1: Straight 20. We got no modifiers.
2: All right, 17.
1: You take a deep breath and close your eyes. And as... You know, you you kind of just gain a sense of peace. All of a sudden, you hear just right above your your left ear a thunk in the wood paneling. And opening your eyes again, looking to the side, you see a dart sticking there. And then another thunk um, right above your head, and there's another dart. And looking straight ahead of you, halfway on the other side of the room is Edgar, darts in hand. Well, Bertram, it seems you've learned to be wiser than you seem bravo for staying still this time around i must say sorry for yesterday it's uh not my fault that you flinched about a foot and he's holding a, a tumbler in one hand and his darts kind of like twirling in the other and uh, just as he downs another gulp and readies his dart with the other, uh, there's a soft knock at the door. And in walks Mr. Morlock. Oh, I see, my, my, my good dear Edgar, you are using our Bertram in a new exciting way. So have you had some uh, time to think about that agreement we discussed last week? Edgar immediately just downs the rest of his drink, slams it down on the on the just slams it down on the mahogany desk next to him, and immediately looks at you, Bertram. Do not move one inch. And then he turns to to Morlock. I think we have a deal. And he reaches his uh, hand to shake with him, and and as they shake hands, just this, this prickly feeling just starts to go over your skull of just foreboding. And uh, uh, as they continue to shake hands, Edgar says to Mr. Morlock, I've started to make arrangements and you can work down in the basement. We're going to make it real comfy for you here. Bertram will make sure of that. Let's go in the inner room to uh, figure out the paperwork and sign what needs to be signed. Bertram can finalize everything, and he knows my, uh, signature well, <laughs> really well by now. I really don't have to sign anything these days. Isn't that right, Bertram?
2: Yes, Mr. Morlock, whatever, whatever my lord asks of me, I will do. Damn right. As I start to kind of move towards the door, I'm, I want to try and sneak one of the darts and try and, like, pocket it. Because I think he, this isn't the first time he's tried to use this to like hurt me, and I think I'm trying to secretly hide these things that he uses to like hurt me with. Got it. As kind of dark okay. as, as kind of dark as that is.
1: Yeah, uh, sleight of hand.
2: Oh yes, thank God. Nineteen. Yeah. Do not you want do to do think that. of what happened if to he saw two, me.
1: You're able to pocket two of them. So yeah, you see, you see three left on the desk and you're able to hurriedly pocket two of them. Um, and as you're kind of putting them into one of your pockets, you hear his, his sharp voice over, you hear him call you sharply over the room, Bertram, and you think for a second that he's seen you. Um, but as he, it's just like you see him peeking through the door and as he starts to slowly close it, he mutters loud enough just for you to hear, Don't forget, your days are numbered. And he slams the door shut. We go forward once again to year 65. It's now at night and you are doing chores that you normally are not able to do during the day because of the constant harassment from Edgar and the constant demands for... Food and other creature comforts uh, to be brought to Mr. Morlock's room. But you are hearing noises now at night. And it has been some time since the candles have been lit. It is very dark in the hallway. Um, And thinking that you're the only one who's up at this hour, you're, you're very confused. And so you reach into your pocket and you take out... Uh, the matches that are in there, and you start to light the candles that are around the manor. As you continue to hear this, like, scratching and scurrying sound, much like as if it were just very, very large rodents, that's the best thing that you can, like, come up with in your head. Um, you you try and follow the source of the sound, and, and you round a corner, and immediately you see what you think are... are red glowing eyes catching the sight of you striking yet another match and at the the sound of the striking match and the flare of this light um those that brief glimpse in the far-off dark of those red eyes just catch it widen and then immediately scurry away
2: (laughs) fucking creepy wait so i I, i'm i'm lighting matches and i'm hearing like scurrying and i think you might think it's like a big like a rodent or something and in the distance like in the darkness of this i'm see i see the red glowing eyes that scurry down the hall
1: you see these red glowing eyes so as you you strike that match and kind of step toward it the the eyes immediately like in the darkness dart away and you don't see anything there anymore what what do you think bertram would have done at this point
2: I don't know, I wonder if when you're so isolated by yourself, if you assume that you just are seeing things at nighttime and have lived there for so long at this point, I think I would know this place like the back of my hand, obviously. So I think I would dismiss anything that are fears. I think I would grab the candle the candelabra, if that's kind of is that what I'm nearby, or one of these candlesticks mm-hmm. that's lit and I would, yeah. And I would kind of start kind of walking towards whatever noise I heard.
1: You do. And you kind of hear that same sound, but it's getting fainter and fainter. And I think as I'm walking,
2: I don't, I don't know if I'd be more scared of a rat or more scared of like running into like Edgar, honestly. Um, Mm, mm -hmm. I think I'm more worried about running into Edgar. So, but I'm, but I'm walking to see uh, what I think it might be.
1: And so, yeah, you continue to hear those, the sounds, and it doesn't sound like anything that Edgar has ever made, like, it, in any time that you've seen him around the mansion. Uh, and so, as you pursue, the sounds get fainter and fainter, and as you round a final corner, you you bump into to someone, and the figure that you, you run into is somebody that you've only, like, seen barely, like never interacted with, but have seen from a distance. And uh, she is very just small, uh, small frame, a heart-shaped face, um, and just parted brunette hair. Um, And she looks up at you with with these pale gray eyes and just surprise like, lines her face. And you recognize Edgar's daughter. Oh, uh, I'm 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 sorry. Um y- you must you must be Bertram, right?
2: Well, this is the first time that we're this is the first time we're meeting. Or, or mm-hmm. it's new. Damn, cool. Y- yes, uh I I'm sorry, uh Lady Eloy. I I hope I didn't startle you. Um what are, what are you doing up at this time of night?
1: I'm <laughs> You're gonna. <laughs> this is a little weird. Um. I I had a hard time sleeping, and I I heard something.
2: You. He- I know that
1: that sounds strange. Hmm.
2: What did you? Was it your your father making a ruckus again?
1: <sighs> no, he's he's actually he's gone for the weekend. Um. <laughs> it's nice to be. It's nice to have a little bit of quiet around here. Hmm. Just between you and me,
2: what did what did what what did that noise sound like? Maybe it's. I mean, I, I've lived here for a, a long, long time. Um, maybe if you describe the sound, I might. Maybe it's the creak of a door or some wood panels, or maybe something uh, the wind blowing <laughs> the tree branch against the the window or something.
1: I know I, I haven't lived here in a long time, have I? Um, the best way I can put it is. It's kind of like a scratching and sniffing and a weird scraping sound, almost like like a grating sound. It, it was almost like a laugh, but not. It, hmm. it was rather creepy, and I I I just wanted to see if somebody was out here, and it wouldn't be you, would it?
2: Well, I am. I am out here. I uh, I am here, but I. Don't make noises like that. I did... Th- I thought I saw something here. That's why I was walking this direction. I thought I saw some kind of light catching something. I assumed maybe it was a, a candle in another room catching a reflection of something. But I heard a scurrying sound. I didn't know if it was maybe a rodent or something. Hmm. Maybe, maybe we're both just lonely in hearing things. <laughs>
1: You know, I usually don't get a lot of people to talk to these days. And I just, I got back here two nights ago. And then father already had to go on another one of his trips for a week. So I thought it would just be me. And I'm glad to see you're still around, Bertram. I, I never really talked to you before. and
2: Well, I- you were just a baby. Of course you didn't.
1: I, I know I really haven't been around here, but it'd be nice to have a friend.
2: I agree. Now, should we both go to bed then um, and not hear any more noises or see any more specters?
1: <laughs> I, I guess. Um, and she kind of bites her lip in, in a way that you find really endearing and then looks up into you and, and says, that collar is... Wow, can you grow any flowers you want in that?
0: Hmm,
2: you know, that's a good question. Uh,
1: Have you never tried?
2: You know, I always tended to grow what your grandfather liked, Arthur Featherfoot, whatever he liked with his tea, or the colors he liked that that brought out uh, of my color. I just tried to do what he liked, and Edgar, of course... Your father, excuse, excuse me, Lord Featherfoot, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, he's It's ne- all
1: right. You're safe here with social graces.
2: He n- never took an interest in anything about me. Uh, I guess I could just leave it at that. But I don't know if I've ever tried. I don't know. What, what is your favorite flower?
1: <laughs> That's beside the point, Bertram. Um, well, I could try I and was-
2: uh, grow one. I mean, not, not instantly. I'm not... I can't perform like that. It takes me time to, to, to grow that.
1: <laughs> Believe it or not, Bertram, I, I kind of like dandelions. They're overlooked. They're often where you most need them. They allow you to make wishes. And... They make a really good medicinal tea.
0: Dandelions.
2: Hmm. Beautiful. Yes, I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on growing those. <laughs> okay. And we'll see if I'm able to. I may not be. No promises.
1: You mentioned before growing things that were medicinal for my grandfather.
2: Mm hmm. Yes.
1: You make anything that helps people sleep?
2: What, like cannabis?
1: <laughs> yes, um, I've been wanting to get into that <laughs> Do you have any edibles <laughs> <laughs>
2: um He's oh, a pusher. uh i mean maybe some some lavender. I'm trying to think of something that might just be able to just having some lavender in your tea breathing that i mean i i i Obviously don't know the effects myself, but I've heard that it helps people soothe them and calm them. Would you like some lavender?
1: I would, Bertram, and why don't you join me?
2: Me? Join you?
1: Yeah. Why not? (laughs) I I could use the company, and that might help me fall asleep.
2: And I... I reach behind me because I know that I've I've already have lavender and I know, I know where it grows on me as well. And I take off a couple sprigs, whatever you would call of it. And I would hold them with a smile and say, I'll get the tea.
1: As you two walk down the hall, a candelabra in one of your hands and lavender sprigs in the other. You both do not notice a pair of red eyes staring at you from the darkness. They gleam one beat, two beats, three, and then slowly slide away as the ghostly sound of grating mechanical laughter floats into the dark recesses of Featherfoot Manor.
0: The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.
2: How much do you know about
0: cryonic preservation?
2: Cryonic preservation?
0: The preservation of human beings at extreme low temperature.
2: <laughs> you mean like, like
1: uh, Walt Disney? No,
0: I swear to God, if you say anything about Walt Disney's frozen head, I'm hanging up this
1: phone
2: right now. I swear.
0: Never heard of the Red Valley Seabolt until I
2: just told you. I swear. You swear? Could you take your hand off my knee? Look, Warren, if they're sending the butter-wouldn't-melt new boy looking for Red Valley, it'll be for a reason. Trust me. People are losing their lives in this company. We pulled him out too soon. He is awakening exactly as we planned. He's dying on me! We're all murderers here,
0: Brian E. You, me, that doorman probably, guy on the corner there with the neck tattoo. I bet he's killed someone. Would you like to cut his head off? I'm sorry. The saw is funny. Gordon,
2: why are you sharing this stuff with me?
0: Why are you smiling? I don't know. I smile when
2: things get awkward. Get in your golden bullet, pick me up. You want to go to Red Valley? You want to go to Red Valley.
0: Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley is available on all podcast providers. Do you want to continue?